The interviews in this podcast, all of which are ultimately uplifting stories of human transformation, may contain general discussions of depression, trauma, violence, abuse, or cultural and racial bias. On this episode of Shift Shift Bloom... My sons used to gear up head to toe in army gear, get the multitude of Nerf guns that they had, and let me know that they were going to go shoot zombies in the yard, and I could join them or not. If I joined them, I was in their army. You weren't a zombie? No, I was a soldier, of course. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's You might not be here right now. When my co-creator, John Lyons, said he'd love to do an episode about how method actors transform themselves, little did he know that I have two of the best right at my fingertips. My close friends from graduate school, Gabe Fazio, a working actor, and Brandy Hotchner, a teacher of Stanislavski's system, helped me understand what change really means from the artist's perspective. I'm Kristen Sorelli, and you're listening to Shift Shift Bloom, a podcast about how people change. Oh my Lord, <laughs> what have I done to myself? What are you talking about? My guests today are Gabe Fazio and Brandy Hotchner, who, full disclosure, are also dear friends and fellow graduates of the Actor Studio Drama School MFA program. We go way back. Gabe lives in New York, where he works as an actor in theater, film, and television. And if you want a taste of his often under-the-radar brilliance, just Google Gabe Fazio Mark Ruffalo and see what Ruffalo himself, director Derek C. in France and writer Wally Lamb had to say about his invisible performance in HBO's I Know This Much Is True. Brandy took a different path, heading west to LA after 9-11, stopping in Phoenix along the way where she fell in love, got married and became a mom. She stayed in the Southwest, where a chance opportunity to teach an acting class at a local college lit something up in her. Calling on her entrepreneurial spirit, she grew a small private class into what is now the region's top conservatory-style school, the Arizona Actors Academy, where she serves as artistic director. I'm proud to call these two people friends. I'm in awe of their commitment to our craft. Welcome, Gabe and Brandy. Oh my God. Thank you, Kristen. <clears throat> I'm really humbled by that. Thank you. You feel humbled. I'm glad you sh you're you're incredible, both of you. Shall and every word I said is true. Will this be shown to children? <laughs> no, this will be an NC-17 rated episode, so don't worry about it. Um, I want to say the podcast is about change. And so today I wanted to dig deeper into the process of change as it pertains to the actor's work. So I have uh, just a an initial question for both of you. And I know we can't speak for all actors everywhere, but do you think actors are attracted to the art itself because they are attracted to the idea of change in some core and compelling way? Boy, that's a, a challenging question. And you can't speak for all actors. You know, speaking for myself, I did a lot of seeking of change elsewhere and kept getting pulled back 
I think that actors, artists, and even the people who come and engross themselves in the art of acting and don't become professional actors are seekers. They seek something, knowledge, knowledge of self, better knowledge of others. They have a deep, 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 insatiable curiosity that it almost cannot be, can't be satisfied. It's never satisfied. So every character is an opportunity for such bigger transformation and understanding. So is seeking and the desire to transform and grow and expand. Is that change? I, I change to me, especially right now, that almost feels like something that happens despite us. Not necessarily like seeking, which is something that we follow. That's a complex question. I'm not, I don't really know. Um, for myself, though, uh, it came from a place of looking for recognition and looking for uh, to feel significance. So I came to acting because I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to get up in front of people and I wanted, uh, I felt like I had a performer in me and I wanted it to be through playing guitar, but I was very quick to understand that I didn't have the talent. I still play guitar, but I limit, I played rhythm, simple rhythm guitar in a band and it wasn't very satisfying. And, um, one day I had okay. a uh, report. This is a long story, but I, I had a uh, I had to do a report on Beethoven in my music class, and <clears throat> everybody was laughing at my presentation because they thought I found humor in presenting it, and I uh, wasn't trying to be funny. I just so if hmm. somebody told me, "Why don't you try out for the school play?" Oh. which was Godspell. <laughs> so I went to a Catholic school. But uh, I did. I, I tried out for Godspell. I didn't get a role. And then there was this kid who got a role. And I believe the, the role was Jeffrey, the name, the character Jeffrey. He didn't show up one day and I filled in for him. And <clears throat> I was just like, it just, I just felt, I just instinctively went really deep. And they gave me the role and they told my friend that like, listen, like you didn't show up and gave as much better. And so he gave me the role. I, I, did, I don't know. I just, it was just fun. And all mm. those years of talking to myself as a kid in isolation paid off. And, um, my, um, fantasies about beating up bullies was, you know, I can express in, in the work without actually, you know, following through my, uh, my visualizations and fantasies of beating people up. And so it, it was like sort of, that's how I, I acted because I was uh, introverted, lonely. I had something I wanted to say and, uh, and that's how I did it. But um, as far as changing is concerned, I think, uh, you know, mm. I'm not consciously thinking about, I need to change. The first thing that fell out of your mouth, Gabe, is, is interesting. I've never heard you say that you got into it for recognition. I've never heard you use that, that word before. But I do think 
That's interesting in itself because for a lot of people, that recognition is a life change. I maybe maybe it's an external, but you know how many actors do we know that that got into it because they want to be famous? Not to make a judgment on that, but they didn't necessarily get into it for the art. They got into it for the change in circumstances that becoming rich and famous through the art could bring. So I think there's there's different aspects and different ways of looking at this idea of change. But I felt like, I don't know if it was change as much as it was getting to express parts of myself or try on different people that I felt I would never be in real life. You know, getting to become somebody else, have a different experience instead of my humdrum suburban New Jersey, Italian American life. You know, I, I thought acting was exciting because it prov- seemed to provide this opportunity to, to change in that way. So I'm curious because we went through these three years of intensive method or method style training in graduate school. Can you talk to me about method acting as you see it and what your process is now today? Well, it's interesting because, uh, I feel like today method acting has, the definition of method acting has changed into something that it wasn't originally. Now method acting is looked at in a negative way, where it's, it's often plugged into people, particularly famous people who don't know what they're doing and they do stupid yeah. shit and they call it method acting and it's always negative. And uh, so from my understanding of method acting is using your past experience and your imagination and that's it. And you do whatever you need to do. You find your own way of working and whatever you need to do to get it done, whatever you need to do to play the role, as long as it doesn't, as long as it's not at the expense of someone else, you know, Mm. no one needs to participate in your process. And I make sure that like, you know, whatever I'm doing is not intrusive on anyone else's way of working. And I feel like that preserves a positive light of what method acting is, which is just really relating to the character to the deepest of your ability, you know, and really dive deep. And if you want to, like, make a diamond, you got to, like, you know, crush the coal. You know, it's like you got to really work at it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a quest for truth. I think that's what method acting is. And that's, you know, I feel like that's what I learned it to be. By, you know, working with people who worked with Strasbourg, worked with, you know, listening to people like Jack Garfine talk, working with teachers like uh, Elizabeth Kemp and Geraldine Barron and Barbara Portier and um, reading books on Stanislavski and Stella Adler and just really ab- absorbing everything you can through real experience, hands-on experience. Like, you don't know what it's like to live in someone's shoes. So Mm. the best, your job is to put yourself in that other person's shoes. And no matter who you're playing, whether it's Hitler or Gandhi, you have to understand, you have to love the person you're playing and really understand what makes them tick, which sometimes could be controversial. You have to, like, play the character with a certain reverence to and respect and, and love and care for the person. And that is controversial. So... I would come at it as an educator and someone who's devoted, God, almost 17 years now to trying to deconstruct this really mysterious, controversial, and truly misunderstood approach of American acting. Mm. 
I've spent a lot of time on this, but when I've brought artists in like you, Gabe, and you, Kristen, those are very precious times for me because whenever you guys come in and run a workshop, we're digging deep into what is this? What is this? Mm. What are we doing? What are we trying to pass on to this other generation of actors? Where are we running into obstacles and and what worked for us? How did Mm -hmm. our mentors break us open? I think if you're going to break it down to its simplest form, it's the deep desire to be as alive in the imaginary circumstances as you possibly can be. The act of asking yourself to live truthfully is incredibly hard because it's unnatural. Dramatic writing is filled with heights. It's heightened emotion. It's heightened events. It's heightened circumstances. And the people reacting in those moments to those circumstances are reacting in ways that we spend every day of our lives trying to control. It's breaking moments and it's ugly, it's messy. It can be quite embarrassing and humiliating if you're in the realm of sexuality and desire. It's all the parts of ourselves that from day one, we are told is not acceptable. And it's not acceptable. We can't run through life like that. So the actor has to get up and let all that conditioning go and freely express. And it's, it's a challenge. We understand each other wherever we're from, however we were raised. We understand each other because the human condition is so universal. But the allowance to get up and let it express, that's the challenge. And the confusion is, well, method actors will do anything to capture a moment. It's an approach. That's what Elia Kazan said. It's not a method. It's an approach. And the approach is the individual artist's desire to live very truthfully the, the moments that their characters are in life and to be very alive in it, for it not to be representational, for it not to be choreographed, pre-planned, cliche, which means it has to come from you. What I hear when you're both talking about this is I hear that what we have to change in a way as actors is the sort of general complacency that other humans get into just living life. And I think what definitely our listeners won't know is that you do have to train it's an athletic event. It's a full-bodied event. It's just like an Olympic athlete to take on. A, you're talking about dramatic text being really heightened. And so, yeah, we have moments in our lives that are heightened. We all remember the, you know, the funeral of our grandmother that we went to or, you know, the birth of our first child. We all remember these big moments, but we're not living there all the time. And I think actors are actually asked to to live yeah. there, not all the time, yeah. but to step in and to step out and to step in and to step out. And that, that takes training. And I think that kind of training does change you. It makes you different than other people. That is for certain. You can't, it's a personal journey. Isn't that what Strasberg said? Acting training is a personal journey. It's a confrontational one. 
and it's glorious in that. So I just want to stay on this one second further, which is for, for both of you, because, because Brandy, you started as an actor, even though you've transformed, let's say. So tell me as actors, when you approach a role, do you consciously try to change things about yourself that you know are different than the character? Well, I think it uh, like changes depending on the role. But the first okay. thing I ask myself is, what was I? What would I do in this situation? Ask that question. And then you go from there. Well, I mean, then it branches out. Yeah, I'm curious because I think lay people. I mean, the three of us are kind of maybe we're talking in code a little bit the way actors talk. So I think I'm always um, tickled when somebody who's not in the theater or not an actor comes to see a performance and they say to you, Gabe, afterwards, oh my God, how did you do that? You were unrecognizable. It was like you changed into another person. And it's like, what is it that they're seeing or sensing? Like They're just seeing, you know, the layers stripped down or added on. It's not something that you, oh, I'm going to change into this. And then suddenly you turn into the Incredible Hulk. It's more of like a they're seeing the changes of the seasons that of all the months you've worked on it, or weeks or however long it took you, hours, days, whatever. Hopefully it's months and or a year. And they see the result of a process that's ever changing. It's never it's consistently changing. Even when you're performing, it's you're always changing, you know. It's like it there's, you have to stay, yeah, the blocking stays the same. Yeah, all that mm-hmm. technical shit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's when someone says that to me, I, you know, um, first of all, that's the great, greatest compliment you can receive. But either way, I think that's what they're seeing. They're just seeing, like, you know, the, the results of and it's the very, process. And it is, it is a, a puzzle. They're seeing the end of the puzzle. It just, it's like I'll sit with the script and the moment I crack it open, the puzzle's beginning. It's, there's something to decode. Yes, I start with myself, but mm. I need to answer question after question after question after question. The, the script has contained in it always, especially with good writing, these marvelous crews. Clues. I feel like we collaborate most closely and intimately with the author, even if the author isn't there. The author is in a one scene will have a bit of behavior, right? It's all behavior. The character has this behavior, a response to a moment. It's a clue that says, ooh, something happened over here. This happened when they were individuating in adolescence. There's there's this you know, malfunction in the family system. There's this, and I I can start to decode the the mystery of the human that I only get a tiny view of what's within that script, a moment in time. You're both so eloquent. I love what you said, Gabe, about what they're witnessing is the change of the seasons of your work over time. Yeah, that's just for me. Yeah, I'm sure there are some people who can like do it. Well, oh, you need that? And they just like can. I've seen people do that. I've seen actors who are incredibly talented to just do 
you know, I don't know. Like, uh, for me, I don't work that way. I remember I was working with Geraldine Barron on a role at my first television show where I had to watch the World Trade Center, like, you know, collapse. And it was going to mm. be on me. And so I was like, I was scared. So I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And like it. And she's like, you know, gave me this statue exercise, which was so interesting. It was, it was uh, really just like repetition and muscle training. It was like really just like a, a psychological statue. You just like form into something. And then mm -hmm. after like, mm -hmm. she puts you in a relaxation and she like almost puts you through an effective memory. For those of people who don't know what that is, it's just sort of like when somebody guides you through a very relaxed state where you are open to being guided to feel. And um, so that's what she did. And then when she felt she got me to a point, she said, now I want you to remember what it was seeing the buildings come down and then when I say now, I want you to open your eyes as if you're seeing it and you can be as big as you want, be as big and extravagant, use your whole body. And so when she told me I did it and then she's like, now I want you to hold that and I want you to do that every night, hold that position, remember it, do that every night before you go to bed for 10 minutes straight, hold that statue and allow your mind to be free. And then what you do is very slowly, you bring it down to a natural form. And that's what I did. And I showed up on set and I felt confident and I was able to do it. There were like 500 extras. The director's like, okay, so this is all about you for the next two days. All these extras are here for you. All this setup here for you. And all this pressure. She's like, no oh, pressure. No pressure. Yeah. He's like, you just tell me when you're ready to go and we'll go. And I'm like, I want to be a professional. So I'm like, yeah, you just do it, go about your day and let me know when you're ready. And then he walked away. I was like, oh God, it's, but I felt confident. I knew that I will, there will be a response that is needed to fulfill the scene. And I did it like take after take. I was learning. I'm still learning. And that was just really oh, interesting wow. to do because the pressure was just completely overwhelming. I mean, they had gigantic fans that were blowing like papers and dust and suit I had two camera guys on me at the same time and all these extra oh my god like if I didn't do any work how does an actor not do any work get to that situation and feel like they can do it it's like beyond me I'm I'm grateful that you described this process that Geraldine took you through in the sense that to me it does amplify change in yeah. that you couldn't have gone in and just done it. You needed to work on something. You needed to develop some tools. You needed to develop some ownership over the moment. And to do that, you had to undergo physical change. That's not the only way to do it. But for me, like the reason I've strayed from some of our training in graduate school is because I always felt like something was missing for me in in what I got there. And, and was that the physical work, Kristen? Because you've moved with such passion into a far more athletic, whole body kind of approach to your craft. I think, Brandy, you're right. I think for me, I felt like the things that I felt blocked about, yeah. things that I felt I wanted to express that I couldn't express, that was not jiving for me until I found 
phys- more physical work, mm-hmm. more movement-based work, mm-hmm. Michael Chekhov's work. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then I, then I started to go, oh, this is exciting and it works for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also, I, I don't know if it's the tragedy of American training, but I think holding on to any one way of thinking is not healthy for an artist. And that's not uniquely American in any way, Kristen. Mm. This is some very bizarre thing. All the way back to the early 1700s, the, the first writings on the technique of acting and stuff, it, it goes as far back as that there's a deep pettiness in our in our world. My way, right way, guru coach, blah, 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 blah. What I don't get it. I don't know what that is, but I, it's not unique to American acting, no, at all. Well, and that brings me back to what now you said, Gabe said the change of the seasons, which is so beautiful. And you said the puzzle. And what I get also from both of those is such a reverence for mystery. Yeah. And why I think we often can't answer direct questions as actors about change or what, because our process has so much mystery in it and it's not the same every time. So just because we used this roadmap for that character in the last play doesn't mean that roadmap is going to work for our next role that we take on. (laughs) You almost have to go back to the beginning every time, right, Gabe? Right. True. Um, But I wanted to say something to what Kristen said. You said you mentioned that you abandoned the, uh, the the method. I said... I said strayed. No, I strayed I, from yeah, it. I wanted to explain. I, I, I feel like what I'm learning about the method is more about the misuse of the method. It's like you don't need these tools unless you need them. It's, it's sometimes it strikes me as like I, I'm living in a bizarre world where people are really, they just don't have the eye. And I'm not saying like I have this amazing eye that I can see what's real, but I can, I can see, I can see what's fake very clearly and I can see Mm. what's real. And it's so, it makes you crazy. It really does. And I feel like that's because you have all these people who are being taught by teachers who don't know how to teach it. So much of what is method in the classroom and when it's, it's not taught thoughtfully and carefully is such it's it's suddenly you're teaching students are being taught to self-indulge or emotionally masturbate or worse and where the danger zone is and is they're being guided to open horrific raw pain and suffering and use it, which is not at all. I mean, nobody talks about the seven-year rule anymore. But Strasbourg was so specific. You don't touch Hmm. something um, from your own life that was in any way transforming, caused change in you. So we can call that adversity or we can call that trauma, but it's a big event in your life, pivotal event in your life. Unless it's at least seven years back. It's a good time to check in on you, listener, because if you're not a theater person, you might be wondering what the hell or who the hell we've been talking about at times. I promise we're not name dropping. We're speaking actor speak. 
actor studio speak, that is, because most of the artists we're referencing had some affiliation with the actor studio in its heyday, when it was led by Lee Strasberg, who famously taught Marlon Brando and Marilyn Monroe and many, many others. The studio was one place American actors could learn technique, but it wasn't the only place. Other training grounds were run by other big-name acting teachers like Stella Adler, Sanford Meisner, and Uta Hagen. But nearly every mid-century American acting teacher could trace their roots back to one guy, Konstantin Stanislavski, who over in Russia in the late 19th and early 20th centuries developed and codified a system of actor training that included eight or nine or ten tenets an actor must develop in order to practice his craft. The thing is, all these American teachers had different interpretations of Stanislavski's writings, and those interpretations led to lots and lots of heated fighting about what he meant, and who was right about what he meant, and what he left unsaid, and who should carry the torch forward with their unique and deeply correct understanding of his work. Sounds exhausting. Here are two things that I can tell you. Of all the American teachers, it was only Stella Adler who spent any time in Russia observing the master himself, and it was only Michael Chekhov, my special guy, who was himself Russian-born and bred, but who later became an under-the-radar teacher of American actors, who actually studied intensively as an actor under Stanislavski. Make of that what you will. Here's a third thing I can tell you. As modern actors who are now one or two generations removed from all the drama, we have the luxury to read and absorb and experiment and practice and then decide what we want to accept and what we want to reject from all these quote-unquote gurus who it turns out probably had more in common than they would have admitted back then. For example, none of them would disagree on the importance of the imagination to the actor's process. Talk to me about imagination in your work. What's the role of imagination in helping you create a character? Uh, I don't know. When your imagination goes crazy, it's like my imagination always goes to like, I'm driven by fear. So everything that I do is always comes out of fear. Fear of failure, fear of not being able to live up to my own expectations, fear of becoming the things mm -hmm. I bitch about like I did before. Um, mm. I have a great fear of that. So I'm very like, you know, afraid. So what out of that fear comes the, um, analyzation or the overanalyzation of worst case scenario. And that's mm. my first, that's always my instinctive reaction. So my imagination, I just allow myself for the craft. I allow myself to do that, to go there. I allow myself to spiral down a deep, dark place, and sometimes a really elated, crazy, happy place. I just let it go, and I, I grab things along the way. Mm. And mainly, the th and I pay special attention to the things that scare the living shit out of me. Or, and sometimes the things that scare the living shit out of me are not always limited to dark things. Sometimes they're, mm. they go to greatness and like enlightenment, mm. but in order to achieve that enlightenment would mean that I would have to change things in my life right now. And so that's when life imitates art, art imitates life, where it's like, wow, that's when I find things that are, I can relate to in a character. So 
one of the challenges for adults who, for whatever reason, come to the craft, um, they have to take an acting class. They don't even know why. Like, nobody is stupid. Absolutely everybody understands there couldn't be a worse game of chance. But I feel like I have to do acting. And they so they don't quite know why. And these are people who are highly accomplished, already have established careers, families, whatever it is, and something like an infection in them. They can't get rid of it and they have to do it. They don't understand why. And one of the biggest obstacles in the very, very beginning is the use of their own imaginative workings. And so here's what I've observed. And part of so much of this came from being a mother um, and just the incredible phenomenon of observing your children at play and participating with them at play from very young. As a very young child, their imaginative world is really no less real to them than the actual real world. And I'm sure there's some mm-hmm. brilliant scholarly stuff on what's happening in the brain, but that is the case. So if you go into a room with a four or five-year-old and they're in the midst of whatever imaginative play, you enter their world. They tend to invite you in and you enter their world, whether my sons used to gear up head to toe in army gear get the multitude of Nerf guns that they had and let me know that they were going to go shoot zombies in the yard and I could join them or not. If I joined them, I was in their army. And there's moments when I I was, no, I was a soldier, of course. Thank God. (laughs) You You might not be here right now. And then I (laughs) observed in them the strange phenomenon of that imaginative workings going slightly dormant. And then Mm. the imagination was getting still stimulated, but by entertainment, books or TV Mm. or whatever entertainment. And it just stays that way. And then suddenly an adult comes into an acting class and we ask them to imagine, to use their senses to, you're asking them to take an old muscle that's been somewhat dormant Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. bring it back to where it was. And ideally, you know, you're functioning as an actor. And I think many artists do this dancers and and it's for certainly performance performing artists, whether they're conscious of it or not, you're back in that area of imaginative play. And that's Mm -hmm. where you are and where you live as profoundly as you did in those very young formative years but you have to get that muscle working again i love the imagination is everything the imagination is everything in fact uh, i'm going to get a little teachery in um bobby lewis's book his incredible book method or madness still one of my favorite books Mm -hmm. in the front cover is the picture that stanislavski drew for him and stella adler when they were at his bedside which is this pyramid. It's very mysterious to Mm -hmm. me, honestly, except for one section, Mm -hmm. which is this big band in the middle, the center, this giant band. And Stanislavski wrote Imagination. 
It's the center of everything. <laughs> it's the first thing that we have to give ourselves permission to do. And it can be the first obstacle that new actors run up against is just play. Play again. Yeah. It's funny because that uh, Stanislavski, there's this book called uh, Stanislavski in Rehearsal, which uh, written by a Moscow art actor. I think his name's Korpakov. And he talked about the last three plays he worked on, which was Dead Souls, Three Sisters, and Tartuffe. And he really was really focusing on what would you do in this situation and really going far and exploring the situation physically without trying to manipulate your emotions to do anything. I love what you're saying about the imagination. I love what you said about Stanislavski. To me, actually, imagination feels like a critical piece of change because I'm going to keep pulling that thread out where for for the lay person, I think change can be so hard when you literally can't imagine that your circumstances could change or that you could make different choices so that your body weight will change or that, you know what I mean? Like imagine visualization as much as you can call those synonymous, but, but visualization and imagination, I think for the everyday person, I think it's like you said, Brandy, we're, we're fed so many things. We, we eat so many things. We digest so many things that are not in us naturally. And we've all really as a culture just lost touch with the idea of imagination. Well, I love how you said that. I think that was beautifully put. And I can observe that the task of starting to develop as an artist and an actor can be very shocking to some people, in part because of that very thing. First, they have to confront themselves because, you know, they get a script, they're assigned a scene, and they love it. And they love it. And then they practice it in the shower and they're screaming and they're crying. And if anyone could see, they'd get an Oscar right then and there. They get on stage in front of the class, try to work. The throat closes. The body shakes. Their voice says now they can't do anything that they were able to do in private. Taking what is private, which is mm-hmm. our emotional selves, our suffering selves, our envious selves, our, our, our desirable selves, whatever, and making it public is a massive task. Change in life means letting go some control. What's happening to the actor on stage is that they are asking themselves to let go control of the moment, control of how other people see them, Control of how they will feel, control of wanting to get approval from the teacher, control, 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 right? And change is so frightening, I guess, fundamentally because of what is unknown. But if you unpack that shit, it's losing control. It's terrifying. Surrender. To be able to surrender. Yes, you know, I realize as we're talking about this, we're, we're leaving out the actor's life. <laughs> I won't hashtag that game, I promise. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the, the actor's life is, is inherently full of change. There's no such thing as having a job as a job as an actor. You don't join the, 
the actor company and get employed for 20 years. Like, let's talk about that. Like, how has it been to navigate the changes in your own life, lives as an artist? I just know it was like, you know, I knew early on it'd be some sort of sacrifice of having what, you know, the the quote unquote hashtag American dream is, which is like, uh, you know, have a family, have some kids, which is all great. It's amazing. You know, I mean, if I could get to that, that'll be amazing. But like, I feel like I, I knew very early on that I wouldn't be happy unless I was pursuing this and I'll do whatever it takes to do it forever. So mm. anything, any kind of suffering that happened along the way was good. You know, whether that's working as a waiter, working at, in, a, in a cemetery or working in a moving truck or, you know, mowing somebody's lawn or uh, babysitting somebody's kids or doing something that's tedious and you're looking at the clock the whole time. and But you remind yourself why you're doing it. And there are times where you get jealous. Oh, man, I'd love to get a car. You know, like, it's like, oh, man, I'd love to own my own house. Oh, like right now, oh man, I'd love to have like five acres on a fucking ranch in like Montana. It's like, yeah, we all want materialistic things, but, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the actor's life, I guess that's why I get annoyed when I see hashtag actor's life when people in a honey wagon and all like, you know, showing the close up picture of their call sheet. It's like, you know, it's like, dude, it's so insensitive because that's not actor's life. I love you for saying that. I love you for calling that out. I hate it. And like, because first of all, you don't even know. It's it's subtle bragging because you don't even know if you're going to make the cut. It's like, I always want to be like, hashtag, hope you make the cutting room floor. You know, it's it's like, it's subtle bragging. It's like, why don't you tell people when you're going to air? That's what you would call, you know, self-promotion, like come see me on um, uh, ABC. Like, that's one thing. But when you're subtle bragging about, look at me, I'm on set. It's like, dude, you know how many people are going to be feeling like shit because they're not working, you know? So the actor's life is somebody who's dragging their knuckles on the floor, sacrificing not having a family, and working their ass off 90 hours a week, making fucking $1,000, so they can afford their room and rent this studio shared a part shared studio in Harlem. Like that's actor's life. And it's not pretty. And it takes a lot of sacrifice. I think to your point, we've, we only accept an actor who has fame as an actor. And I think when you, you and I, and I, all three of us were coming up, we were still living in a culture where you could make a respectable living doing theater and maybe getting that commercial, you know, every once in a while to tide you over. Pay a little rent, pay a little rent. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and you didn't have to be a household name to be an actor. You were, you know, you were a working stiff. (laughs) You worked and then you worked your regular job and then you hoped you get it, you know, all that. And And that's still a reality though. That's still a reality. It's just not, it's just not celebrated. It's not celebrated. Well said. It's not Mm -hmm. respected rather. It's not respected. Mm -hmm. It's right. like, oh, who are you? What have I seen you in? It seems harder to me, though, now. Yeah, it is. Also. Hard. It's harder for it us. It seems harder. To deal. Yeah, it is harder. You're right. I agree, Kristen. How has the industry changed since you got in it, and how do you navigate those changes? Always been the same. Uh, 
<laughs> the opportunity is like still slim, still the same thing for me. I think it just has seemed to snowball. It, it just seems that everybody wants to be an actor. Everybody. And now everybody can and in a way. Still work, but they'll still work if you look like a model or you have some weird, strange configurations in your face. You know, you're going to you're going to work. Well, I think we we need to always frame this really, really properly um, out of the dignity of our work. I, acting is the few, one of the few art forms, if maybe the only art form where a person with no actual skill or gift for the art form can become phenomenally successful. There are so many threads I can pull on here, and if this part of our conversation makes it sound kind of, sort of, like the actor's journey is a little bit awful, it is. It can be. Gabe's perspective about hashtag actor's life is his perspective, for sure, and another actor might tell you they've had a delightful and welcoming and easy experience, and I wouldn't want to invalidate that. But I believe that what he didn't say is just as important as what he did say when it comes to understanding the reality of pursuing a career in the entertainment business, which is rife with pressure, sacrifice, financial and emotional struggle, constant change, and a lot of nonsense, even in the best case scenario. He's a blue collar kid who had no stage parents, no connections, no disposable income, no team. No advantages when it came to working towards his dream. But the industry is filled with people who have had all those things and more. A very long leg up, if you will. If you think it's a level playing field, think again. Next time you love an actor's performance, do a little digging. You might find out that their uncle is a big-time movie director or their plastic surgeon parents had no trouble with the cost of tuition to the top drama school. The British press has been more open in recent years in calling this out and trying to remedy it. In 2018, The Guardian published an article that posed the question, why does British theater leave working-class actors in the wing? And it's a question we should be asking more here, too. Yes, we've started to, especially in the advent of I See You, White American Theater, which, by the way, is a whole other episode. But we have lots of time to make up for Look, I don't mean to imply that the kid with the leg up can't also be insanely talented and deserving of a rewarding career. I just mean to reiterate Gabe's plea for sensitivity around privilege in the biz. If you have it, be mindful that you have it, and maybe go one step further and figure out how to be the change. There are lots of talented folks for whom doors don't open, even after years and years of putting in the work. I want to I want to just drive the car in a different direction. What are some performances in your memory, recent or longer, that were that were really stand out to you because of some great transformation the actor made? I say most recently Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Hmm. Because that's the per- perfect. It's it's he's playing a character that his is his age and he used himself and his imagination together. You can see it. And that it, it was so beautiful. He mm-hmm. could be that person, mm-hmm. you know? And I saw him know that. And 
portray it in his role. And that's like, that's rare. Is that, is that transformation then? Because now, now we're back to that question about, is that change or transformation or yeah. is that an uncovering of something that's already it's there? It's transformation because he doesn't suffer from dementia. One that is so perfect. It's Al Pacino in the first mm. Godfather mm. because that character transforms in such totality. Yes, I agree. If you take the scene when he sits with his soon-to-be wife and he is young and optimistic and brilliant and American and, and by the end of that movie, he is something utterly different terrifying and its whole body soul everything has transformed over the course of that script and it's shot out of sequence so that actor held that through line that overreaching mm. character arc shooting out a sequence he didn't have the benefit that stage mm. actors have of being able to walk in at the beginning of the first act and pull themselves through it till curtain and then the other one that I would point to is Holly Hunter in The Piano. Mm. Now, that character has a very similar total transformational art without dialogue. But I can tell you, right, when you watch it and you think back on that film, you hear her. She speaks mm. utterly through the whole thing. And she transforms so much by the end. Well, De Niro... In uh, Taxi Driver. Ooh, there's another one. Chris Walken in Deer Hunter. There's a- I want to throw in Leonardo DiCaprio and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Leonardo DiCaprio is, as well as Matt Damon. You know, Matt Damon, I feel I like, like it, Matt Damon, is, yeah. not, is underrated. And I feel like DiCaprio is underrated as well. I think they really are great contemporaries. Sally Field in... Um, um, Sybil? No, well, yes, but um, the. Uh, what was the one where she Norma played the strike? Norma Ray. Norma Ray. Yeah. God, that's a stunning performance that's transformative who she is at the beginning and then who she becomes at the end. Amanda Peet, I wanted to say. Uh, oh, yeah. She's an underrated actress, man. Oh, I agree. Hmm. What she did in Dirty John was just like really exceptional. Oh, that was exceptional. There's was. another transformation. And she was not, I feel like she was not given the due respect for that. As you think of those performances, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Al Pacino in The Godfather. Rando in uh, um, Waterfront. Oh, yeah. The- Sally Field and Norma Ray. Gina Rowland's Raging Bull. Is there a common thread in those performances? There is. I can think of one. Hard fucking work. Hard, hard fucking work. Actors are disciplined. People also don't want to talk about the talent because it's a little controversial. Like, I'm sorry, but like, you know, uh, I think talent, you have to have talent. You can't teach talent. That's a gift. It's a gift. And like, you know, if you have a gift, that's great. Some people have a smaller gift. And, but mm-hmm. I feel like in acting, you could just, if you have the, re, if you're relaxed and you're confident, you can actually accomplish a lot without trying to, you know, do heavy, heavy lifting. I just want to mention one other thing. We're talking about great performances. Mm-hmm. Has anyone yeah. watched the Netflix show Caliphate? No. 
it's hard. It's brutal to watch. But the actor, the actress, her name is um, Gizem Erdogan, if I'm saying it right. And the actor who played her husband, his name was Ahmed Bozan, Bozan or whatever. Mm. I don't know how to pronounce the names, but, but their performances was off the charts. Fantastic. Talk about relaxation, trust. Oh, God. Great I think work. that has to do with the direct director because I feel like the film is like a director's medium where like, they're casting and then they're, you know, making, allowing, like creating the, uh, um, the temperature on set for actors to be free and relaxed and feel encouraged. And I feel like that, like, you know, all the great directors, some, for some reason are able to get like the best performances out of actors. I think you're talking about, um, I think what I hear is this great belief and hope for collaboration and that collaboration actually enhances an actor's performance. It actually releases, can release an actor's best stuff. It can help that find its outlet. And we know, I mean, I think the other thing we know ourselves is we need each other to be actors. You know, we, we can't, re- I mean, yes, we can go onto the green screen with the, with the things attached to us, but I think for all of us, that's, that's not the most satisfying experience as an actor. It's, it's the ones where we're working with another human being, whether that's our acting partner or the director. And I think that's, I think that's how people change too, is they can't, we can't do it alone a lot of times. I mean, we have to do it alone. The performance is coming through our one unique channel, but someone else's eye and input and little nudge of encouragement can be critical. It's a collaborative art form. So we are not individual artists, unlike the writer and, or the painter. We don't exist without our fellow uh, theater and film artists. It's a dance. It's a perfect dance a lead and a follow and an absolute synchronicity. Um, And it's a hard thing to achieve because you have to so trust that other person. And that's another area in life we, we resist. I love what you're saying because I'm looking at the two of you now and we're, we're 25 years into our friendship and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering (laughs) times when, when I got to work with Gabe on stage and Brandy, I know you've worked with him too. And just the sort of like, the way, the way another person can change you, you know, you go in and you have your idea about what you want from the performance, what you want from yourself as the actor. And then somebody comes along and I'm going to, I'll just use Gabe cause he's here, but somebody comes along and he brings something unexpected and you have to change. And you have to meet it. You have, you have to, to you, ha- you have to go with, you have to dance the dance. I think you have to, to be a good actor. You have to, to have a, a rich life. Okay. So we're at the end of our conversation, which includes what I want to call and force you to obey. Okay. It's rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you a series. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Don't think, just answer. And let's go like this. Brandy, you're going to answer first. And Gabe, you're going to answer second. Oh God. Same question. Okay. Okay. Here we go. The first one is a fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Change requires blank. Acceptance. Ice cream. 
You say and you say the same comes to my mind. Fine. If you could go back in time and change one thing and only one thing about your past, what would it be? Wait, who's going first here? Because I'm waiting. This is not Brandy's not going. It's, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead of Brandy because you have to ask no. the question again. Brandy's not playing by the rules. <laughs> Very clearly, if Kristen you, said Brandy first. Go, go. Okay. I can't. If you could go back in time, if you could go back in time and change one thing and only one thing about your life, what would it be? Penmanship. <laughs> Brandy? Um, my need for validation and affirmation. I don't need that anymore. You thought mm-hmm. about that. You thought about that. <laughs> See, that question was destroyed. <laughs> We're not rapid fire in here. This is... <laughs> This is eliciting my Larry David right now. My OCD is getting very triggered right now. Okay. What is one thing, big or small, you would like to see change in the world? Penis. <laughs> Vagina. You're mocking me. You no, mock I'm not. Me, you sir. asked me to say what comes out of my mouth. comes first. I'm okay. rapid fire. Do it again. But you, but you can think. Oh, you, you can think about that. it. You said don't you think. You can think about it. You literally it. said don't think. I d- you're right. I did. I did say All don't right. think. I meant don't like – I meant don't chew on it. Changing the goalposts. Don't. Okay. Okay. Right. Do it again. Do saying. that one what, again. What is one thing, big or small, you would like to see change in the world? Tolerance. Mm. Respect. Now we're playing properly. Yes. Kristen's happy. What is what is one thing big or small you hope never changes? Children playing. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, God, um, my brain's scrambling right now. Um, uh, water and oxygen. It's a good one. What is one small or superficial thing about yourself you would change? Vanity. It's the word. It's um, impulsiveness. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we both said that uh, knowing him 25 years. We both went, mm. <laughs> mm. Ice cream. How often do you change your toothbrush? Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to say every, every week. 12 weeks. Is that gross? Oh, God, every week? No. I wash it. Though. Yeah, it doesn't I doesn't change the toothbrush it. every week. <laughs> I use an electric toothbrush, so they're very expensive. So I change them when the bristles start to, like, you know, yeah. go out. So I guess, like, I, I guess, like, once a month. Okay. It's not it's a rigorous, test. It's just, a, it's, just, brush. it's just a little it's lighthearted a little, question. you know, you're, you're crossing the line here. Sure. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Understanding that we all have aspects of each of these in ourselves. Are you primarily a change maker, a change seeker, or a change resistor? Change resistor. Change maker. Mm-hmm. What does your next change look like? And feel free to be aspirational or imaginative or fantastical about this answer. Wait, I'm a change maker. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I hear resist and I'm like, that's me. 
And I'm like, no, wait a minute. I, I actually like ch to change a lot. All right, so go on. Sorry. What, was it? what does your next change look like? And feel free to be aspirational or imaginative about your answer. My next, what does a change, my next change look like? Yeah. I can go. Great. I um, looking forward to letting go long-held perceived obligations to others, to mm. the craft. I'm actually aspirationally looking to care for my artist's soul. Spiritual paradise. And also that. <laughs> and also spiritual paradise. That's my change. That's the future of my change. Yeah. Well, I... I send you both all my loving energy towards your aspirations, but I also send you major gratitude for giving me two hours and 20 minutes of your lives yeah. today. We will edit this. I don't know how we will edit this down, but thank you. Thanks, Shirelli. Kristen, thank you for giving me this opportunity. This was fun. Shift Bloom is a co-production of TCOM Studios and Actually Quite Nice, engineered by Tim Fall, and hosted by me, Kristen Sorelli. Episodes are available wherever you download your podcasts and are made possible by listeners just like you. Please consider supporting our work by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash shift shift bloom. Shift Shift Bloom is made possible in part by the Prade Foundation, a nonprofit organization committed to improving the well-being of all through the use of personalized, timely interventions and provider of online training in the TCOM tools. TCOM is Transformational Collaborative Outcomes Management, a comprehensive framework for improving the effectiveness of helping systems through person-centered care. Online at pradefoundation.org and at tcomconversations.org. And by the Center for Innovation and Population Health at the University of Kentucky, online at iph.uky.edu.